We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. When I was in high school, all right, 1967, can anybody go back 50 years? I was in high school. And we had um, homeroom. Did y'all have homeroom? We had a homeroom. And they had a rule that you couldn't go to sleep there. You had to be reading something. And so I like to read magazines. And I was reading a uh, Reader's Digest. They still make that? I read a Reader's Digest. And, you know, I can remember from 50-plus years ago what I read because it impacted me. There was a guy talking about his father, who was an academician up north, and uh, he was like an English literature uh, historian. And this boy at 18 went off to Harvard. And he said he would be calling home, writing home during his stay at Harvard. And his father began to notice somewhat of a change in him because he was 19. He knew everything, you know. And uh, the uh, boy came back for Christmas. And he said, when I came back, I had my father greeted me there in uh, coming back from Boston. And he said, I had a proper Boston tweed on. He said, I had affected a Boston accent. He said, I, uh, he even took up a pipe, which looks good on a 19-year-old. <laughs> Smoking pipe. And uh, he said, we got in the car and began to drive back. And I began to, you know, lecture my father on things that I had learned. And we got back to the house. And my father... Uh, offered me a cigar, which he would never think of doing. But now that I was mature at 18, he decided he would offer me one. And so I said, yes. And so I took a cigar. He said, I unwrapped it. And he said he commented to his father as he lit the cigar. He said, Father, you'll notice that the cigar does not ignite quickly because it's been properly cured. Hmm. And then he said, you'll notice the ash hangs on the cigar because it's been tightly wrapped, the mark of a good cigar. And the father said, yes, it is a good cigar. He said, even though it was just a 50-cent cigar. And the young man said, oh, no, father, you'll notice the uh, wrapper. He said, this is a $5 Tampa cigar. And the father said, no, it's a 50-cent cigar with a Tampa wrapping And then the boy realized he'd been had, that the father had meticulously sat down and took off the wrapping on the 50 cent, took off the wrapping on the $5, changed them, and offered his someone, someone, knowing that he would get this lecture on cigars, all right? And so the boy was had. And he said, I love, I can still remember it. He said, my father began to lecture uh, an imaginary person while indeed hitting me. You ever have your daddy do that? They just start talking about some worthless individual that's you? Okay. And so the father said, and he said he would always, when he did this, he would get very scholarly. He said, in the Roman uh, system of its day, there were different castes of, of society. And the greatest caste, and he's puffing on his 50 cents ago. He said, the greatest caste was the patricians the old 
Petrus, the old fathers. And he said the lowest caste was called the sine nobilis, those of no nobility. And you could recognize them by their clothing. And he said, ever so often, someone in the realm of the sine nobilis would seek to be among the patricians. And what he would do is he would merely get a patrician robe, a toga. And so he would go sit with the patricians. But he said the patricians could rapidly determine this was sin nobilis. And as a result, they would just flip them away and simply say, sin nobilis, they're without nobility. And he said, the word came down to us in a shortened firm, a sin nob, a snob. And he said, this is where the term comes, snob. It is someone that is of no real substance, but has a great rapping. <laughs> Meaning, moi, okay, you. And he said, and then he wrote about this confrontation and how he never forgot it. That you do not judge somebody by what they want you to see. You judge them by what they essentially are. Well, that is what this text here is about. If I had my notes, I could tell you it's really good. Okay. <laughs> so let's close in a word of prayer. No, my giant brain can remember this stuff. All right, if you'll look in verse, um, verse 20, he's gonna talk about being a snob. And he simply says, the poor is hated even by his neighbor. That is sad that appearances, the rapper can so influence you with somebody and you hate them. And but it says in verse 20, those who love the rich are many because a poor guy can't do nothing for you. The rich guy can. And so the rich guy knows when people kiss up to him not to trust in him because they're not giving, they're taking. But the poor guy can't get any respect because of snobbery. Uh, Jesus, when he was in his ministry, was never condescending. You ever notice that? Never, ever does he condescend. They will say to him, uh, get these children out of here. Suffer not the little children. Such as the kingdom of heaven belongs to these. They would say to him, tell this woman to quit following us. Woman, your faith is great. Be it done to you according uh, to your faith. Uh, he was seen talking to a woman. What's he doing talking to a woman? But then they didn't speak because he could tell he was dealing with this woman's heart. If you understood who I was, you'd have asked me for living water. Uh, that he would, uh, uh, why are you sitting with tax gatherers? Because the physician is not sent to the healthy. He's sent to the sick. And blind Bartimaeus came. Those who led the way sternly told him to keep quiet. And Jesus said, bring him to me. Bring him to me. Nicodemus wanted to meet with Christ by night. And he said, sit down, let's talk. Because he knew he came for business. Uh, the Pharisee said, if he knew who this woman was, he would not let her touch him. Simon, tell me, 
A guy is forgiven much, a guy is forgiven little. Who loves the most? He that's forgiven much. That's this woman. And that's why she did what she did. And so Christ never, the only person he would ever rebuke was religious hypocrisy. He, he didn't like that. But if you were a Pharisee that came for business, he would talk to you at night on the veranda as long as you wanted to talk. And so this is the attribute that is precious. Now, is it possible to be tipped off about somebody by their appearance? Yeah, uh, there's a way to dress for success. But you don't necessarily condescend on them because of who they are. It is said that Christ hated sin, but he loved sinners. And so he was willing to take anybody that, that came to him with sincerity. As a matter of fact, uh, when you look at the things that people most loved about Christ, they, and I find very few that have anything against Jesus. They may have some things against Christianity, particularly Paul that explained what Christ did. But everybody loves Christ because of his simplicity. All he needed was food and covering. He was a simple man. There was no ostentation to him. He was not a capitalistic person. He, was no, he didn't live for money. Uh, secondly, because of his courage. He was not afraid to say what had to be said, even if he died. And thirdly, was his lack of ostentation. No matter who you were, if you approached him, that's all he needed. There was no seen nobilis in him. And when you're Christ, it would be hard not to be a snob because everybody's beneath you, you know. But he's always kind to everyone. And so, number one is this attitude. And what we're going to see through the text are foundational attitudes that a civilization is built upon a culture. The root word of culture is cult. It talks about religious dogma. And so you can't really have culture without cult of what you believe, okay? We got a constitution, don't we? Israel had the divine law. That's what you build on. Well, in verse 21, he who despises his neighbor sins. Why would you sin by despising your neighbor? Because you're condescending on who this person is because of the wrapping. If you want to see another word on this, look at verse 31. He that oppresses the poor taunts his maker. When you make fun of somebody, you are taunting the one who made him. But he that is gracious to the needy honors God. This is a good verse, incidentally, when you're talking with people about bullying. That when you condescend and intimidate somebody simply because you're bigger than them, you taunt God because he's very special to God. Suffer not the little children. He uh, who despises his neighbor sins. But happy is he who is gracious to the poor. When somebody sees somebody that needs some help, that he will honor him simply for who he is. You know, I got a letter a while back. I was going down University Drive one time, 
and there was, it, was start, it was raining, and there was this guy walking down on the sidewalk, and I just saw him being beat down by the rain. And I figured I was bigger than him. If he tried to do anything, I could work him pretty good. And so I threw open the door. I said, hey, you're a criminal now, but I'm wet. I said, get on in here. And he got on in here. I was driving my first of five Dodge Chargers. It looked good. I said, how do you like my ride? Boy, are you telling me? Uh, so we drove down there. Where do you need to be? I need to be down here. I said, you know why I did this? Why is that? Because I'm a Christian. Really? Yep. And I told him about me and the Lord. And then I dropped him off at a pawn shop where he wanted to be. And he got out and I introduced myself. I pastored Denton Bible. Well, good to see you. And so I forgot the guy. I got a letter about three years ago from the Denton jail. <laughs> yeah, I really had impacted this guy. But he wrote Denton Bible, the pastor, and he said, I don't know if you remember me. And I did. It was this guy. And now that he was in trouble, he wanted to know if he could have some help. Just how do I get out of this? All because I gave him a ride. Well, happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Listen to this verse. Whenever Paul writes to Timothy about how he should treat rich guys, all right, I've been praying that we could get some rich people in this church up here, you know. I would love to kiss up to a rich guy. I really would. But he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Can money make you conceited? Yeah. Not to be conceited or fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Steve, you're in economics. Can money turn on you? It can disappear but to fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with everything to enjoy. Instruct them to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In other words, you're okay if you're rich, but don't try to look down on everybody, but use your money to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, storing up for themselves. If you wanna hoard, here's what you hoard storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future because you can take it with you if you invest it in God for eternal things. And then he says this, and that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. When you do good with money, you probably can think about, like I told you a story about me helping a guy go down the road. You've got stories, all of you do. How many of you incidentally came from a family that had a mother or a father that was extremely generous. Did you raise your hand? Do you, Debbie, do you tell stories? Sure you do. You never forget that about your parents. And so you take hold of that which is life indeed. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, prior to his visitation, was not a pleasant fellow. Uh, the fundraisers hated him. His maid hated him. Bob Cratchit's family had to be talked out of hating him. Tiny Tim kind of liked him, you know, but he liked everybody. Uh, nobody liked Ebenezer. After he got touched, he gave his maid a raise. He sent Bob Cratchit a goose. He gave a kid a crown for getting it within five minutes. Uh, 
he helped the guys raising money and he helped Tiny Tim escape death. And Charles Dickens said, he did Christmas well. He took hold of that which was life indeed. Let me tell you another story about how great I am, okay? I'm at Kroger's one time. There's an old man with a basket full of food. Had to be in his close to 90. He was pushing it through, gave him a card, and the lady said, we don't take that. And he just said, well, it was about $150 worth of food. And I could see him just scared. What do I do? And the lady just said, no, push it over there. Next. And I looked at him and just... I hurt. This guy would have been about the age of my daddy if he had lived. And so I said to the lady, how much is it? She said, $150. Here, put it on mine. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> Don't let your right know what your left is doing, but I want y'all to know what my left was doing. Okay. <laughs> I said, put it on my car. $150. Now that, that's a pretty good deal of money. Was I going to spend it for something, Kurt? Probably to pay a ticket or something like that. <laughs> or moon pies and penny whistles. I'd have spent it on something stupid. I don't know where I'd have spent it either, but I know where that 150 went. And, I, and it was, sounds trite, but it's true. He had, the look on his face was worth $150. I paid for it and he just kind of looked at me and I put my arm around him. I said, Mr. I said, we guys stood on the shoulders of you guys. I said, you took us through a dust bowl and a depression and a world war and Vietnam. Thank you. Now, I would have blown that money, but you know what? It was like taking hold of that which is life indeed. So if you're hurting for money, don't be coming to me, all right? Because I know what you're up to now, all right? And so when you, you become happy, when you are gracious to the poor, I'm going to tell you about a movie I don't want you to watch. Okay. You ever watch Groundhog Day? Bill Murray is contemptible. He is a narcissistic, self-seeking guy that nobody likes, especially Andy McDowell that he had loved to court. And he gets cursed by God or something and he can't go beyond his life stops on the Groundhog Day. And his first reaction is, this is fantastic because I can do evil and never have to suffer for it. He can, so he could do all kinds of stuff and be evil and just keep doing evil. And it was great. And by halfway through the movie, he wants to kill himself because his life is so worthless and nobody likes him or respects him. And so then all of a sudden, there's a transformation and he now knows what's gonna happen at every point of the city. And so he'll stop and he'll help people. Some kid that's choking, he'll heimlich him. Some kid that's doing this, he'll just go around helping people all through the day. And then he'll redo it the next day. And it turns out everybody loves him. And he figures out this is a really good thing. Guess who falls in love with him? The girl he couldn't get to give him a, a second look, Andy McDowell. And so all of a sudden, the curse is lifted and he can go on with his life because he learned not to be so self-centered, but to be giving. It was kind of like a Christmas carol set on Groundhog Day. Isn't that something? Don't watch the movie, okay? 
verse 22. Will they not go astray who devise evil? This is where you try to get money by crime. All right? It's kind of another foundation of a country. Number one is uh, to have a genuine kindness for your fellow man. And now we're going to look at guys that get ahead by crime or by selling drugs or by human trafficking or by breaking and entering or by fencing stolen material or by, are there a new, and now with the internet, there's all kinds of ways to do evil. I forget how often that identity theft takes place in our country. And so the those who go who devise evil, they go astray, meaning they're not going to be happy for long because they have taken a turn on the trail. And in time, they are going to be lost sheep that gets devoured by something. You ever see a kid that you know this kid is heading for trouble? And you want to just grab him and shake him or her and say, you better wake up because this trail is going to take you someplace. I had a convenience store right up where I live and there was a woman that worked in there named Marie, Hispanic lady. She died of lupus. She was a marvelous lady. I got to know her. She knew the Lord, asked me to visit her son. Something happened to him and we just got to be good friends. And one time I was in that store and this girl was up ahead of me and she put her stuff up there, and Marie did it. And then the girl got ready to leave, and she said, Whoa, wait a minute. You didn't put up here what's in your pocket. She'd shoplifted. And Marie said, Put it up here. And then she grabbed the phone. Boop, beep, boop, boop. I got a crime I need to report. The girl started kind of to duck out. She grabbed her, pulled her back. And uh, the cops came and set her down and scared me. I mean, I put my stuff back. You know that I was, I hadn't even shoplifted. And Marie looked at me who had had some experience. And she said, that kid, that wasn't the first time that kid did that. And that wasn't gonna be the last time. And she said, she's heading down a hard road. And I went, oh, it's for She's heading down a hard road. And she said, you got to stop them right now. Amen. I wanted to put her on staff. <laughs> she knew her stuff. You got to get them right now. What she could have said to me is, will they not go astray who plan evil? She's in a world of hurt. But to those who devise good, they're not going astray. They experience kindness and they experience truth. They will enjoy a life as it should be lived, truth, and they will enjoy the hesed of God, his faithfulness to his people. So when you see a kid that is uh, devising good and is kind, you wanna just say, that kid, if he continues on the trail, is looking forward to a life of joy. Is there going to be struggles? Yeah, temptations, yeah, pain, yeah, sickness, yeah. But that kid's heading the right way. And so they devise good. 
they're going to know the blessing of God. And then in verse 23, we see something else. Rather than trying to rise through crime, why don't in verse 23, we do it the old way? Whenever a kid says, this is the only way I can make it, you say, no, this is not the only way you can make it. If there's going astray, there is by nature a truth then and a proper trail. In verse 23, in all whatsoever labor, there is profit. Get to work. In verse 23, but word of lips leads only to poverty whenever the only thing working on you is your yapper, you are gonna end up in poverty because you're full of talk. But when it comes, y'all ever got any buddies that are always looking for their ship to come in? They, they can't do a Monday through Wednesday job, but they're always looking down next month for this thing to happen. Well, mere talk leads to poverty and labor there is profit. This is one of the reasons I love America, is America is not just a, a geographical place. It's an idea that you come here. We'd like for you to become naturalized if it's all right. Don't get me started. But once you come here, we're all immigrants. Once you come here, if you're willing to work, you can go to school. There's nobody that can't go to school. If you're willing to do what you got to do to start, you can get to school. You can get an interview and then you're on your own at that point. It's up to you. But you can now get you a job. You can make some money. You can get you a house and a weed eater and a sprinkler and you can enjoy the American way. There's a couple that lives just close up close to us who's uh, wife comes to Teresa's international wives deal. Both her and her husband are deep into their 80s. They were from, uh, believe, I believe, China. And this couple came over here and this guy went to work, stock in shelves and do whatever he needed to do. But he now didn't have a, a lid on him as to what he could be. America would let you flourish. And they are doing well. They've got this beautiful little house and they grow this exotic stuff I've never seen. Uh, she brings us stuff to eat I've never eaten. But they're just, they have a, a sweet life. And you just see them out working in the yard. They're retired now. And I said to my wife, I said, those are the most American people I know right there. I said, they came here for a chance and man, they ran with it. And so, learn to work. Uh, I'm going down the road the other day, stopped at a red light, looked over, and I saw this crew of high schoolers walking next to me. And uh, this one kid had his pants down so bad, I didn't know whether to tell him, put him up or spackle him, you know what I'm saying? You know what I just said? And I noticed all the cars around me were all looking at them and laughing. And I thought, you know, you're on a difficult road right here. 
and all labor there is profit. Uh, anybody can get a job. Anybody can get to school. My son got a bachelor's and a master's from the military, and he ain't paid a dime yet. And they have a uh, program where if he'll go within a college within Texas, he can go get his doctorate. And that's something. If you're just willing to work. Let me tell you how great that I am here for just a second. Uh, can you all identify with this? In my family, nobody had ever been to college. Nobody. My daddy might have made $600 a month working for the government. Born in the Depression. Uh, I, they let me know, all four of us ended up going to college. One on a trombone scholarship, me on a football scholarship, another one on a singing scholarship, and another one on a baseball scholarship. And my mother let us know, you know, we're not, you know, the, the asters. So if you're going to go, you better find a way to go. And so I worked at it to become one of the great athletes of the 20th century. All right. And I got to North Texas, led us to seven wins in four years. Okay. And in between that, I'm moving furniture at 17. I'm unloading boxcars at 18. My mother, if she was a man, would have been Douglas MacArthur. And she let us know, you ain't gonna lay around here. Okay. So I was unloading boxcars. Uh, I was on an assembly line at a window factory from time, summers of 21 and 20. Uh, 22, I'm working at Morrison's Mill unloading boxcars. And then I'm working at Kino's Convenience Store. I could have been a convenience store mogul. All right. My convenience store was like the bar on Cheers. Okay. People love to come just because we had fun. Uh, and then we got married and we went to Asbury Methodist for $400 a month. But we took college students and built it. At the end of the time, we were making $600 a month. We were rolling into big bucks. Then I came to Denton Bible Church. We had 90 people, but Mel and I, Mel sure had a work ethic. Mel Summerall turned 18 in the middle of the South Pacific in World War II with a note from his mother that he could go to war at 17. And then he went on to the University of Colorado, and then he built his own house, and then he went to work for CFNI Steel and had five kids and then came here to go to Dallas Seminary and became the oldest graduate in the history of Dallas Seminary. He was 52 when he finished. All right. Yeah. And so uh, that's why my, both of my sons, I got a younger son that got a scholarship to go to uh, University of Kansas. Then he went to, play for, went to play for the St. Louis Cardinals played for them. And he had about 37 learning disabilities, all right? He had dyslexia so bad that at his wedding, he said, do I? I said, no, <laughs> I do, okay? <laughs> and he had to hump to get through school because my older one was just brilliant whether he wanted to be or not. Lousy student, but just real smart. John did okay, but he had to work at it to do it. And he fought his way through and did well. And both of them have said to me, anybody 
can go to college and anybody can get a job. You just gotta want to. Or in America, praise God, you can lay around and be a bum. You can just open mail for a living, all right. You know, in England, they had guys that wouldn't work. They were just on the dole and they would just wait for a loaf of bread and we got the word, a loafer. That's what a loafer is. He's a guy that won't work. He just won't let the, the country dole it out for him. There may be a time for that, but it, it can't be forever. And so you work. Well, what you've seen here are foundational truths. Truth one, you treat people according to the image of God in them. They have inalienable rights from creation's God. Number two is you live honestly and law abiding where you're not afraid of being found out. Number three, you have a biblical work ethic. There was a kid in my young guns, he was a tennis player out of Georgia, Georgia Tech. He came here to do young guns and he got him a job at New York Subway. I mean, he was an architect, but now he's gonna build sandwiches, okay? And so he built sandwiches. The guy that did New York Subway had never been able to go home at a decent hour because he didn't know what would happen in employee theft or how the place would be run. This kid was a Christian and he did his work as to the Lord. And he did so well that this guy could now go home and he even took what he had never been able to take was which called a vacation. He had always wanted to be able to go someplace and run marathons. He got to where he ran a marathon on every continent because he could turn, he could give the keys to this kid and never worry because the kid had a higher ethical standard that was called the law of God. And so he came to this kid and he said, how's about I'm gonna go start a new one and I'll give this one to you and we'll split the profits and we can both get richer. What do you think? But he wanted to go to seminary and he did. But here he had people begging him to run their corporation, so to speak. Isn't that something? Just because of a work ethic. And so, where you have these things, but then you have to have something else. If you see verse 24, well, the crown of the wise is their riches. When it's all said and done, it's not a prosperity gospel, it's a righteousness gospel. When you look at this guy's life, he's gonna do well because he's doing it God's way. The, but uh, the folly of fools is going to be foolishness. Proverbs, by his deeds doth a lad distinguish himself if his conduct is right and pure. See a lad skilled in his work. He will not stand before obscure men, he will stand before kings. Old guys, of which I am, are always looking for younger guys to elevate. Buddy, you're an old guy. Would you agree with that? Kurt, yeah, you're nobody. You're still a young guy. Steve, am I right? Old guys are always looking for young guys that they can elevate and turn it over to. Uh, in verse 25, here's another element of society that has to be in place. A truthful witness saves lives, but he who utters lives is treacherous. He's dangerous to the company, the country. Uh, it's called legal justice, that a guy is a good citizen. He is honest. 
You build a nation through about four things in the Bible. You better have a law outside of politicians that holds them accountable. Israel had the law of God. America, as a stroke of divine grace, had a document that reflected a Judeo-Christian idea from the 18th century, and it was called the Constitution about the, the, the inviolable rights of man in the image of God and or inalienable rights and of uh, basic truths that we find to be self-evident. That's a reflection of a biblical worldview. And so the other thing you have to have are judges that enforce the laws that are not crooked, that are not on the take. Israel struggled by not having them. Has it ever happened in our country? Yeah. You know what the Bible calls a wicked politician? It's called a serpent that can no longer hear the sound of the charmer. In other words, if you got a charmer causing the serpent to obey, you get a deaf serpent, and that's a bad deal. And that's what a politician is that cannot hear the one that guides him. You're in trouble now. And uh, you have to have judges, and then you have to have a teaching clientele of some sort because you're only a teenager away from catastrophe. So you have to have clientele, either parents or Levitical priests. Israel had 48 Levitical cities. The Levites weren't allowed to congregate. They were sprinkled. You were never, it is said, more than 10 miles from a Levitical city. You could always know the word of God. How many times did the Jews have to congregate in Jerusalem? Three times a year. Everybody had to show up. And so you, and it, parents were told to instruct their children. And so you better have family or a church or by God's grace, schools from the 1800s in our westward expansion that in the McGuffey's Reader will have verses up on the top. Or you better have churches or something. Y'all ever heard of an institution that started about taking kids an extra hour of the day on Sunday and educating them? It was called Sunday schools. They're not biblical. They got invented here and in England because as we pressed to the West and we lost our first generation of Americans, somebody said, we better teach these kids. So they were religious professionals that started the Sunday school union. Okay, so you have to have those things. And then you have to have a, a system whereby truth is sought and you don't have arbitrary guys flipping a coin. You have to have what are called witnesses. In Israel, how many witnesses did it take to find a guy guilty? Two or three, two or more. You can't just have, and as a matter of fact, if you were a witness and you were found to be lying, the law says, we do to you what you were going to do to him. So you better be careful of your blogging, okay? When you accuse somebody, because you might die. So you had to be real serious. In the uh, early America, if you lied about somebody, particularly a man or his family, what he would do was send a second to you and say, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. 
and I am gonna kill you dead. Or you're gonna kill me and everybody will know that you are a liar. Or you better apologize right now. Or when we come to go face to face, you'd better turn your gun skyward and shoot it to say my bad and then I'll shoot mine and you'll save face. But you had to be careful. They said that uh, uh, Andrew Jackson at the end of his life was carrying like two bullets in him that he fought so many duels. So if you insulted or lied about somebody, uh, you were in trouble. When I was young, we had what were called bathroom walls. Y'all remember? And you could pop off in any lie you wanted. Or we had uh, uh, the city's uh, water towers, okay? And if you wanted to lie, that's how you did it. But you didn't sign it, okay? It was the ultimate act of, of uh, the excrement of a barnyard fowl. Y'all understand what I just said? Okay, that's what it was. I do not run a computer machine, but I'll tell you what, a computer, particularly when you put down your filth and send it out there, otherwise known as slander, am I right, buddy? That you just send out your bathroom wall out there for everybody to read. And somehow we think because you type it, it must be okay. A computer is to slander what pornography is to lust. Pornography is lust's greatest friend because you can go viral with your lust. And to put stuff on, is it tweet, Facebook, TikTok, or something, all of the above? When you put a lie out there about somebody, you need, you need to be killed. Okay, I don't have an opinion on it, but that's what I think. Because I've had it done to me a couple of times. And I got out the phone book and started looking for Joey Chichi. Could you, could you break some knees for me? That's what I wanted to do. Y'all ever been lied about? Makes you want to kill. But somehow that's become standard for our day of producing slanderers, and there is no lower form of life than to do that, to ambush, backshoot some guy. I don't really have an opinion on it, but that's what I think, okay? And so here in 25, a truthful witness is what you build society on. As a matter of fact, do you know that in the Old Testament, if you were subpoenaed and you knew something, you had to speak. You had to. And if you didn't, you had to offer up what was called a trespass offering. A, a sin offering was where you violated the moral code of God. A trespass offering is where you violated civil law or religious law, the tithe or something like this. And so if, there, if you were called to testify and you would not, you were held to be guilty because you can't have justice without truth. You can't have hearsay. Can you prove it? Well, all of these things are essential to a country. If you don't have people with the sense of the fear of God in court, uh, what you will have is the takeover of your society by evil. 
When righteousness floods in, the righteous stand as a standard before them. You will now get Al Capone, or you will get Dutch Schultz, or Bugsy Siegel, or Lucky Luciano, or Meyer Lansky. Do you all know who those are? They were a group of guys that were called Murder Incorporated. And they took over our country in the 1920s. Isn't that something? And that's why Elliot Ness had to get a group of guys called untouchables. You couldn't reach them. You couldn't bribe them. Uh, we would have John Gotti, Sam Giancana, that they believe was behind the Kennedy assassination. You have cartels, traffickers, communists, tyrants, and you have a takeover. And so be happy and live honestly. Amen. And work hard. And don't be a snob. You see a human for who they are. You may not like what they're doing, but you can speak with them with uh, a sense of dignity of who they are. Let's remember the Lord. What do you say? Father, this is a good Sunday for communion because without the word of God and the Savior, without the fidelity of God to his word and the immutability of God to his nature, we can't have hard work and we can't be crime-free and we can't have nice guys who don't bully and we can't have a, a court system that will work and so as uh, Vody Bacham said months and months ago that wherever you see these breakdowns of society like boxcars, you can keep moving backward and at the end of the train, you will find the rejection of the Bible and of, and of the God of truth. Because when we get rid of these other things, when we get rid of morality and right and wrong and justice, uh, when we get rid of work in the workplace, we become like the old Roman Empire and we just degenerate from within until anybody who comes in can simply take our place. And so we pray, Lord, that you might find in us those called out from the nations to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood that you would find us, the ecclesia, the called out, the church, that you would find us checking our compass continually, that we are walking according to the pleasure of God. And Lord, we'll just ask these things as we stop and go back to the source, to him that was the object of the Old Testament, that laid the foundation of the new, that offered us forgiveness now, and who shall return someday to bring everything to a head before the tribunal of God. And so we'll remember now his justice and his mercy. For his sake we pray, amen.